you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody, and happy Father's Day. And this morning, as we were preparing to come, I was going to bring my little sedan, and my wife said, no, take the big truck, because it's Father's Day. And there's a great possibility that you might get some lots of gifts. And the little sedan may not be enough, so. So that's what I brought. So I walk by faith. So you can see me at the end of the service. Right, Pastor? Yes. Share it with Pastor Dio as well. (laughs) Anyway, happy Father's Day. God bless you. God be with you. I want to share with you an incident that happened to me when I was doing my postgraduate studies in the United Kingdom many, many moons ago. Looking at my age, you know when that would have been. It was the second day in my class, and we hardly knew anyone in the faculty or even our colleagues And we were working on a particular assignment on construction practices in the UK from our textbook and by an author named Professor Richard Fellers. Now, there were four of us in our group, and each one was headstrong, because that's the traits of engineers, you know that. And we had our own interpretation. And in an effort to resolve or to have an understanding, we reached out to the faculty. And there was a guy with a long beard and a ponytail. He offered to help us. And when we gave, when he gave us his thought on the text, it was completely different from any of our theories. Now, we got so upset about it, and we all ganged upon him and started to argue with this guy. He patiently and attentively, he listened to the views But before he could rebuttal, we heard someone who passed by, greeted him, good morning, Professor Fellas. It was then we realized that we were debating with the author of the textbook and refuting and misreading his theory and telling him what his text really means. Isn't it interesting? We felt like clowns on that day. Believe it or not, this is exactly what we do with the scriptures. That's what we do with the scriptures. We have our own thoughts, our own views, and we inject it into the word. We are adamant about it, not willing to listen to the author. Church, when we read or study or meditate on the word of God, every one of us, every one of us, we use one of these two methods. It's called, the technical terms is exegesis or eisegesis. Even if you can't remember, don't worry about that. Now, exegesis and eisegesis are two conflicting approaches in Bible study. Exegesis simply means it's more of a... Just bear with me. Oops. 
Why is it not? Okay, there we go. Sorry. Now, exegesis is, is the exposition of the text based on a careful, objective analysis. So basically what you are doing as you open the scriptures, you want the text to speak to you. You don't want to speak to the text. So you want to look at it through the lenses of the context or the person who wrote it. Now, on the other hand, eisegesis is the opposite approach. It's a subjective approach, which means that reading the, into the text with a preconceived notion, which means that the interpreter injects his own ideas into the text, and you see how you can validate your thought. The right way of studying the word is to apply the task of biblical exegesis. Allowing the word to speak to you. So in any scripture, to understand, we need to know what the author is really saying. For that, we need to know the author. We need to learn from the author, and we need to pay attention to the author. So in our text today, church, the Lord is introducing the author of the scripture today. That's what he's doing. This is the crux of the message today. The author of the scripture. Here's where, uh, here's where John, uh, sorry, J.I. Parker, renounced theologians, he said about the author. He said, God the Father is the giver of the Holy Scripture. God the Son is the theme of the Holy Scripture. But God the Spirit is the author, the authenticator and interpreter of the Holy Scripture. Let us pray. Father, you have gathered your people in this sanctuary this morning that we may hear your words, that we may learn to fear you all the days that we live on the earth, and that we may also teach our children. So speak to us this morning. Amen. So this morning, church, we'll be looking at four verses, verses 12 to 15, from the Gospel according to John, chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn open to that. Or if you don't have, there are Bibles in the pews you can, in front of your seats, you can pick up one. So as we prepare ourselves, we need to have a clear understanding of the context. Why? Because we are doing exegesis. That's the reason we need to have the context. We are still on the day before the Lord's crucifixion. Come along with me. The night starts with the Passover meal in the upper room, and we all know that. And then after the Passover meal, they start to walk through the dark streets of Jerusalem. And in that walk, Jesus begins again to teach them and to instruct them, the disciples. He gives them some instructions about bearing fruit and being fruitful. And it first is all about love. You remember the study on love? We did that. And that love demonstrated by our obedience to his commandments. Then in chapter 15, and especially in verse 18, we find a new word that was introduced, and, and Pastor Dio spoke about that last week. The word is hate. Everybody say the word hate. Hate. So it moves from an evening of love to an evening of hate. 
Simply put, heaven's going to pour out gifts of love and the world is going to pour out hate. That's what the Lord was saying. And then Jesus said to the disciples, verse 20, they are going to persecute you. You will be persecuted because I am persecuted. You will be. And not only you will be persecuted, Jesus goes on to say that you will be put out of synagogues. We looked at it last week. Not only they will put you out of synagogues, church, listen, they will kill you because they think that's the right thing to do in the sight of their God, their understanding. Wow. I just wanted to picture yourself. You are the disciples to whom Jesus is speaking. And you are listening. You are hearing this from the Lord directly. And then the Lord explained to them why the world would hate the disciples, why they would hate the believers, and why the world will continue to hate true Christians. It's because we are not part of the world. We are not part of the world. We are not part of the system. The system is Satan's system, and we are aliens to the system. Because they hate, hated Christ, because we bear his name, they will hate us. That's what the Lord is saying here. And also, they don't know God. So this evening, all of a sudden became a very puzzling time for the disciples. Naturally so. I want you to put yourself in the position. They are in the midst of a terrible, fearful confusion here. In their minds, wait a minute, Jesus. You say, if they persecuted you, they will persecute us too. And they are going to put us out of the synagogues. And they are going to kill us because that's going to be pleasing to the Lord. And in this mess that we are in, you said you're going to leave us. Imagine that. Imagine that. And what do you expect us to do, Jesus? You want us to represent you. You are not going to be here to proclaim your gospel to the world. Are you kidding me? That's what my grandson tells me all the time. I'm sure that's what these disciples would have told Jesus. Are you kidding me? Church, the history would say, as you read, that, that when it came to pass, all the apostles were murdered, except John, who was exiled to Patmos. So naturally, there's a lot of questions that would arise in their minds. How are we supposed to have any fruit in a hating world? How are we going to receive the promises Jesus gave us? How is it that our prayers will be answered? How is it that we'll have power to do what you have called us to do? How is it possible when you are not here because you are the source of comfort, you are the source of strength, and you have been our teacher, our protector, and our provider? So Jesus answers them by saying, I'm going. Yes but I'm going to send someone else. And we looked at it earlier in chapter 14, verse 16, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. And who is the helper? The Holy Spirit. Everybody say the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And we saw over the text we examined during the past few Sundays what the Holy Spirit would do when he comes. He is going to take my place, Jesus says. 
And that great promise was fulfilled when? On the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came and then every Christian, every one of us, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In essence, the Lord told the disciples and all who will believe through all humanity, human history, that the Holy Spirit will come to dwell in all believers. Church, for a moment, just pause. If you are a believer, just think about this. The Holy Spirit is resident in us, within us. He's here, right within us. So when he comes, he'll do something. He'll fulfill all the promises of Christ. So with that introduction, let's dive into today's text. Verse number 12. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. In essence, what Jesus is saying, the things that, that I'm going to tell need some supernatural understanding. It's too heavy for you to grasp it. You cannot bear it right now. You will need the power by the Holy Spirit to understand. There are at least two reasons for that, that they couldn't handle it or they cannot bear it because, number one, we looked at last time, in verse 6 it says, because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. The judgment is completely clouded by sorrow right now. They can't get past the sorrow that Jesus is leaving them. That's the first reason why they can't comprehend. The second reason they can't comprehend is they had an idea of Messiah that doesn't fit what's going on right now. It doesn't fit. They thought he would come and conquer the Romans and throw them out and would establish a, a world supremacy of Israel. And to fulfill the promises of David and Abraham, all the old covenant promises, they would be sort of renewed, but none of it happened. None of it happened. So the disciples could not comprehend what the Lord was saying, but they only did when things came to pass. A great example, church, is this. You remember the time that Jesus entered Jerusalem on what? On the BMW? On a donkey. Picture this. Jesus is coming on a donkey, and the disciples are looking at him. Oh, oh, Jesus, you are making a mistake. You should be coming on a white horse, triumphantly, not with all this humility that you are, you are, you are exhibiting right now. They did not understand at that moment of time. But, look at this passage. We read in John 12, 16, his disciples did not understand these things. They were too heavy for them to comprehend at that time. But when Jesus was glorified, what does that mean? That means that when, when did this happen? When he died, when he rose again, and he ascended into heaven, when he glorified, then they remembered these things. They were able to comprehend it. They were able to understand it. But they could not do it at that moment of time. The point is, church, up until the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, they didn't get it. There was a lot more Jesus wanted to say to them, but they were not in a position to receive it. Therefore, Jesus says, I'm going to send you someone who will enlighten the things that you need to know. That's what you see in the next text. 
verse number 13. Let's look at that. However, Jesus says, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So Jesus telling the disciples when the Holy Spirit come, what he would be doing to them. Not only to the disciples, but to every believer, to you and I. Church, we are such a blessed and a privileged people of God. We ought to be grateful that we are living in the New Testament time and the era of grace. All of us. The Old Testament saints did not enjoy the benefits we have with the Holy Spirit. They did not. You may ask, Pastor, then, what was the role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? What did he do? How did he act in the Old Testament? The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament just came on a person at a time. When you read the scriptures. Now, but we live in a wonderful area, on a wonderful age, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on all who Christ saves. That includes you and I. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon a man for the purpose of sharing God's word with the people. The indwelling was selective and temporary. We see many examples in the Old Testament. It came upon Joshua, it came upon David, it came upon Saul, it came upon the, the, the various judges who were raised up to deliver Israel from their oppressors. The Holy Spirit came upon these individuals for a specific tasks. The indwelling was a sign of God's favor upon that individual. If God's favor left an individual, the Spirit would depart. And we see that in Saul. I want you to understand, church, the, the spirit coming upon an individual does not always indicate that person's spiritual condition in the Old Testament. The spirit came upon certain individuals for a specific task, irrespective of their spiritual condition. Once the task was completed, the spirit Presumably departed from that person. But now it's different. In the New Testament, the Spirit, for all of us, only indwells believers. And that indwelling is permanent. Everybody say the word permanent. It's permanent. Aren't we blessed? And we are highly favored, isn't it? That's the difference. So in today's text, as we look at verse 13... When Jesus is saying that, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all the truth. So when the Holy Spirit comes, our Lord tells us, he will guide us into truth. The same spirit of God that caused the prophets to prophesy and the judges to speak in the Old Testament will lead us into all truth. The spirit is the same. The function is the same. But the method is different. I want you to come along with me because the important theological uh, lesson that we are going to learn today as we go through this text. The disciples whom Jesus is speaking to will be led into the truth in a very special way. 
Our Lord, is, our Lord tells them that he has much more to say. His revelation isn't finished. He wants to tell them many more things and he will through the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying here. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the apostles will be told more things and they will begin to write them down. They will begin to write them down. Church, the context is very, very important here. Excuse me for a moment. Just. Jesus is not saying that the Holy Spirit will be leading all Christians into new and additional truth. Let me repeat that. Because some of you can easily be trapped if you don't understand this truth. What Jesus is not saying here is that the Holy Spirit will be leading all Christians into new and additional truth. Only his current listeners will be given additional revelation and they will begin to write the New Testament. And then he will relay those truths to the apostles they will begin supernatural ability to write Holy Scriptures, what we call the New Testament. And the Peter declares it very clearly as you look at 1 Peter 1.21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. In other words, what you see in the Scriptures are not the thoughts of any of those uh, human writers. Get it clearly, please. But what is Peter saying here? But men spoke from God as they were carried along by whom? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You can see the fulfillment of what Jesus was saying in what Peter is writing here. The Holy Spirit carried them along as they wrote God's word. They were given the power to write the scriptures. This passage applies to us in that we are also indwelt with the Spirit of God. As believers, we read what they wrote and we are led into the truth. However, please hear me out. Write it big bold in your Bibles. We are not given additional revelation. None of us. None of us. Church, I want you to pay attention to this. God does not speak to us apart from his word ever. Ever. Wow. It's a very strong statement, isn't it? The spirit can prompt you. He can place a burden in your heart. But to receive additional revelation would mean that the Bible is not full and complete. That's what it means. It would mean that our Christ's death and resurrection were not sufficient payment for sin. Sadly, there are those who have today who will openly and publicly make declaration, God spoke to me. And here is what he would do. Have you heard that? Maybe on the televisions. Maybe some pastors. But can God speak to his children today? Of course he can. 
If he wants right now, he can, be, he can speak to me. Of course he can. But will he give us new revelation? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because he will not contradict what he has already said. So there are those who go after these false prophets just to hear what God is speaking to them. Don't be fooled. I have seen good Christians run after people and say, what is God telling you to tell me? Paul warns Timothy about such cases. Look at this. Because we are living in the last days. It says, for, for of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning... They appear to be Bible scholars and never able to come to knowledge of the truth, but they know nothing about it. And then Paul uh, warns again, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Church, we are living in the last days. Be careful whom you listen on the television. Be careful what church you go to on the, in your life to go and listen to a speaker. I'm not elevating myself for the church. I'm just telling you the biblical guidelines of listening to God's word. But when someone says, God told me, that is to deny the finished work of Christ. Here's a warning for those who make that claim. Listen carefully. Deuteronomy 18.20 but the prophet who presumed to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Scary, isn't it? Scary. Church, I tell you this, very frankly, as a pastor. There are times that I'm prompted to say something to someone. I'm telling you the utmost truth. I am prompted to tell something to someone. I'm prompted that this is the right thing to do. But I'm very, I never go and tell them, God told me to tell you this. I always tell them this way. I am prompted in my spirit to tell you this. I'm prompted in my spirit to tell you this. Be careful. It's scary, church, because we are living in the last days. The Lord does not mince his words and his warnings. And church, we must get this clearly understood when Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. In verse number 12, the statement is for the apostles of the first century. It's for the apostles. The many things Jesus had to say, he already said in the New Testament. What's more, our Lord is authenticating and giving his endorsement of what they will write even before they wrote it. For us, as we read this passage of scripture, what we extract from that is that whatever that we are seeing in the scriptures were endorsed by God. That's what you're seeing, taking from this. Jesus is telling that John and Peter and the others, what they will be told are things that they cannot understand until they have the Holy Spirit leading them to write. 
Going back to verse 13 again, he says, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. What does that mean? Guide you into, he becomes our teacher, the Holy Spirit. He uses the textbooks he wrote, the Bible. As I mentioned earlier, if your tutor is the author of the textbooks that you are using, how blessed are we to get our doubts cleared from the source itself? He was such a fool to challenge Professor Fellas. Here's the great news. The author resides in every believer. Aren't you excited, church? It doesn't look like. I am. I am. And we see here the, all the truth in verse 13. All the truth that God wants Humanity to have will be taught by the Holy Spirit. Church, understand this. God is beyond our comprehension. Many things, times we cannot fathom God. If you, someone says, I know God, that alone is a lie. You cannot fathom God. But what Jesus is saying here is that everything that we need to know about God is given to us in the Bible. Get this clearly. Here's God. We cannot fathom this. We cannot say, I know God. But everything that we need to know is given in the scriptures. There is much more. We don't need to know that. There are some things that are reserved. So all the truths that we need to know are revealed in the pages of the scripture. That's what Apostle Paul said when he wrote to the Corinthian church. He said, but God has revealed them to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit does what? Searches all things, yes, about what? The deep things of God. And then Paul says in verse number 12, he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but what? The Spirit who is from God, that's the Holy Spirit, and Why? that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So Jesus says the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. The term guide, what do you take from that church? It is a process. Everybody say the word process. It is a process, a never-ending process. A young believer needs the milk of the word to understand what salvation means, who God is, and how to live by faith, how to read and study the word, and how to pray. Uh, later, he begins to digest some meat. The Holy Spirit knows how much his children can bear. So he patiently teaches what we need for the stage of growth that we are in. I know by now most of you know that I love mathematics. And one of my desires of life is that I want my grandson to be a math genius when he grows up, for sure. But as a grandpa, I cannot teach calculus to my four-year-old grandson. Can I do that? No, absolutely not. So I try to teach him the ABCs and the simple numbers. Now, he stops me and he teaches me now. But how to read and other basic truths. But as he grows, I take him deeper. That's what the Holy Spirit does with us spiritually. I remember my wife and I, we went to Mexico. And on our tour, we went to see the Mayan ruins. We went with a guide who took us from room to room, revealing to us the riches of that historical structure. 
At the end of the tour, I could only absorb only a glimpse of the ancient civilization. I'm very much interested in history. So when I went and spoke to the guide, he said, people visit the site multiple times to grasp the history. So if I go through only once, I can't rightly say I have seen all there is to see at Mayan ruins. Each time you visit, you learn new things, new revelation. That's how you study God's word. That's how you should study the word of God. The Holy Spirit is the divine guy who takes you from room to room, revealing the riches of God to your soul. It starts with LKG and you can go up to PhD, but it's a process. He guides you into that. Sometimes you are on the 20th trip into the Bible and, and, and through a book and you see something that you had never seen before. It's like a light bulb coming on and, and you stop and you revel at the glory of Christ. Or another time you make a connection between two passages of scripture that, can, that make sense now. Then you realize that the book is not a product of a human genius, but rather the inspired word of God. But you'll never get to a place, church, none of you, in this lifetime or in all eternity where you can say, I know it all. There is nothing more for me to learn from the Bible. So keep reading your Bible over and over, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal more of Christ to your soul. I have heard people who say, I have read the Bible cover to cover. Have you heard people saying that? Of course. I know it all. You will always be a student of the scriptures. The good news is that teacher is residing in you. More diligently you seek the scriptures, the more he will reveal to you. That is why Bible study is important. That is why reading the word is important at home. Let me move on to verse 14 to 15. Jesus says, Apostle John writes, says, He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. What is the Lord saying here? The Holy Spirit does not speak on his own. The source, he, what he reveals is Christ. He will glorify me, Jesus says. So you ask the question, Pastor, Jesus, when Jesus says he will glorify me, can you tell us how does the Holy Spirit glorify God, Christ? It's a very genuine question. Let's look at the New Testament. The Gospels, as you look at the Gospels, they record what? The birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the ministry of Christ, the death of Christ, and the ascension of Christ. So who is the main person in the Gospels? Christ. Then if you go and look at the book of Acts, what do you see there? You see the preaching about Christ's death and resurrection, his suffering and glory, and the establishment of the church, which he is the head. So in the book of Acts, who is the main person? Christ. Go to the epistles. What do the epistles do? They explain the doctrinal significance and application of Jesus' life and work. So who is the main person that explained the meaning of the gospel? Christ. Let's go and look at the book of, book of Revelation. Jesus Christ 
as the coming judge who will set up his kingdom on earth and rule forever in eternity. That's what you read in the book of Revelation. So who is the main person? Is Christ. In all these things, we see in the New Testament, Jesus Christ. So can you see how Jesus is exalted here? How Jesus is glorified? And who did that? The Holy Spirit. And look at verse number 15 again. We can make the connection. It says, and all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So all things that the Father has is mine. What does that mean? God the Father has given the Son all things. Do you get it? Then second part, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare to you. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit then takes what belongs to Jesus and makes it known to his followers. So who aided the authors here? It is the Holy Spirit. Church, now you can see how the Holy Spirit is glorifying Christ. And that's what John writes at the very end of his gospel. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So it's all about Christ and Christ alone. So what do we take from this church? We have the book written by the Holy Spirit in our hands. We have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We have the author of the book as our private instructor. We have an inspired book and an illuminated mind because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we have the immense, incalculable, necessary gift. And that gift is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's a shame, church, if you are not even touching the Word of God every day. And call yourself a believer. By use of the word, what do we get, you ask? Pastor, I understand all this, but what do I get by this, by reading the Bible? Psalmist says so beautifully, Psalm 119, 130. The entrance of your words gives light. Gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. What does that mean? How does the Holy Spirit use the word of God to give us understanding? We have answers, church, to all life's challenges in the word. And we receive the comfort and strength from the helper, the Holy Spirit. I'll quickly show you just a couple of things. And when we come to a close of this message, what does the Holy Spirit do? It leads to joy. And we read this, joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. You may not have the happiness in your situation, but you'll have that inner joy because of the word. Not only that, you, you will keep you from sinning when you have the word. How can a young man stay pure by obeying your word? Thirdly, it gives you counsel. You don't need a counselor. Your laws please me, they give me wise advice. Psalm 119 verse 24. Number four, it gives you hope. The psalm is right, do not snatch your word of truth from me, for your regulations are my only hope. Number five, it gives you freedom. I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. Number five, it brings comfort. 
the word brings comfort. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. Number seven, it reveals truth when you're confused. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I'll keep your precepts with my whole heart, Psalmist says. Number eight, it sustains during trials. Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my afflictions. Number nine is, it is the light for our path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Number 10, it shields us. You are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of hope. So church, all the theology of Christ is here and the Spirit instruct us as to its reality. All the necessary truth to, to persecute the world and preach the gospel is here in the word of God. That's what Jesus was telling the disciples. You have it. You will get it. You can preach. You can face persecution because you will have the helper who will give you the word of God. So where would we be without the New Testament? Consider the treasure we have. We are so blessed and highly favored. So in my conclusion, may I ask you these questions, please? The Lord wants us to apply his teaching here to walk with God. Is the Holy Spirit progressively guiding you in all the truth? Especially the truth about Christ as you study his word. For that, are you studying the word of God? Are you growing to understand more deeply the great truths of scripture? Centered in Christ and the gospel. Is your life increasingly centered in Christ and Christ glorifying? If you honestly cannot say yes, there can be one of two reasons for that. First, you may not be walking in the Spirit. You may be a believer, but you may not be walking in the Spirit or be filled with the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit means to depend on Him, not yourself. To be filled with the Spirit means to yield completely to Him so that He controls your life. It's a lifelong process, but you should be practicing it every day. Or secondly, it is possible that you, don't, you do not have the Holy Spirit, meaning that you have never trusted in Christ. You have never accepted Him as your personal Lord and Savior. The Spirit is given to those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save them from God's righteous judgment. If you fall into this category, as it is found in the book of Revelation, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Church doesn't cost us anything. It cost him everything so that we have the freedom. So this morning, if you, are, if you do not know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I do not want you to leave the sanctuary without committing your life to the Lord. If you already know the Lord, but you are a nominal Christian, you know about Christ, and you are going out your day-to-day -day life, 
not being influenced by the spirit repent repent today ask the lord ask the lord to touch you shall you pray father we thank you for this message this morning we thank you father that you in your wisdom you knew that we cannot handle the challenges of life on our own therefore you have given us the gift of the holy spirit and thank you for the indwelling holy spirit in the believers help us a god as believers who have professed our faith in the lord jesus christ to walk with the spirit to listen to the spirit to obey your commands so i pray that you will forgive those who have taken it lightly bring them back to oh god and i pray for if there's anyone amongst us who have not trusted in the lord jesus christ may today be the day that they reach out to you acknowledging their sinful state asking for forgiveness repenting father with a contrite heart and receiving you as their personal lord and savior and be completely freed from eternal condemnation and you take this new walk help them oh god help them father may this day not pass by without our lives being transformed we ask all these in the mighty name of our lord and savior jesus christ amen and amen